Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, everyone. Just a heads up before today's episode. Our recording equipment didn't work quite as planned, and so the audio is just going to sound a little bit different than usual. We're still going to sound great, but you might just notice that we sound a little bit differently. Hope you enjoy the episode. Chapter two, A Peck of Owls. What? said Harry blankly. He left, said Mrs. Fig, wringing her hands, left to see someone about a batch of cauldrons that fell off the back of a broom. I told him I'd flay him alive if he went, and now look, Dementors. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Michaela Bly. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We have the wonderful Michaela Bly back with us. Michaela Bly, PhD in education. So Dr. Michaela Bly, Grand Slam storyteller with the moth, former third grade English teacher, one of the kindred spirits in my life. Michaela, welcome back. We're so happy you're back. Thank you so much. It is truly a pleasure to be here. We just have a few announcements. One is that we have like two or three spots left in What Matters, our class that starts at the end of this month. Michaela and I are both teaching in that class. You can find out more by going to notsorryworks.com. Michaela, do you have a one-sentence elevator pitch on What Matters? What Matters is a sacred reading book club plus personal development community. You will make connections between your own experiences and the world, but also you'll make really deep connections with other people in the world. And that's the part that we love. Yeah. I'm so excited. We're starting with Ruth Ozaki's A Tale for the Time Being. And so I've just reread it. And I'm so excited to sacred read this book in community. So everyone, you can find out more at notsorryworks.com. 
Our other announcement today is that we have a romance writing workshop in conversation with National Novel Writing Month in November with Nana Rimo, where we will spend most of the month of October getting ready to write a romance novel. And then in November, Michaela's going to join us, and her official title is Cheerleader. She will be joining us twice and creating some audio perks because in last year's class, Michaela said something that resonated so much with the class that they had a sticker made of it. Do you remember what it was? Oh, I do. My title is cheerleader because my gift is enthusiasm. And I know that you can do things. And so I am very convincing about that. Also, as a NaNoWriMo writer for several years, I have a lot of like cheats. And so that's relevant to the sticker. It was no time for honor. Yes. Oh my God. My favorite piece of advice that you gave was if you've written 10,000 words and you realize it's all bad, put quotations around it and then say, that's the bad version of the novel that my main <laughs> character wrote. And then you keep going. And I was like, yes. It's it's just all about she closed the book and decided that, that I'm not going to finish that book. <laughs> It's that the- terrible book. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find out more about that class at notsorryworks.com. And then lastly, everyone, our Every Flavored Bean conversation today is going to be about a remarkable piece of mail that Michaela and I each remember receiving. There's a lot of mail in this chapter. I'm very excited to tell my story. Sign up for that perk at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. So Michaela. You need no introduction because we had the honor of introducing you two weeks ago on a special episode about storytelling and how we use it in a sacred way. But now we're going to like do a praxis moment where you demonstrate this thing that you're passionate about by telling us a story on the theme of friendship. What story do you have for us today? So I have a story that actually this experience happened really recently so i haven't really told this as a story before but i've been thinking about it all week okay so i live in a new city i moved here about a year ago and because of covid and some other sort of stuff in my life medically speaking i haven't really like made a bunch of new friends yet but recently i've started getting out there more and meeting new people. And I made this new friend who I'm very excited about. She's like pretty close to my age and we just make each other laugh and we like have a lot in common. And I just really like her. And two things happened in the last couple of weeks with this friend. The first one was a week and a half ago, I needed a ride from the hospital. Like it was gonna be one of those situations where I'm not good to drive, I'm gonna be under. And I don't know anyone in my city yet. And I don't, it was stressing me out so much who can I ask to drive me home from the hospital on this afternoon? And so I sent three text messages to three different like new friends. And this text message was so apologetic. It was like, if not, that's totally fine. I can probably walk. And like, you know, really, really trying to just, I'm sure you're really busy. And of course, all three of them immediately came back with obviously yes, including this new friend who we'll call Janet. So Janet was like, obviously, yes. And as it turned out, I didn't need the ride, but it was so lovely to know that these three people could really show up for me, including Janet. And then this past Sunday, I get a text message from her inviting me to her dog's birthday party. 
And I was like, that's cool. I have never been to a dog's birthday party. I love this idea. This is like a really lovely, casual, you know, like probably going to be a big party. And I get to the park where this dog's birthday party is. And it's just me and her and her roommate and like two other people, super cute dog and like tablecloth, human cake and dog cake birthday hats it is a real dog birthday party and i'm like this is perfect this is so light this is like exactly the new friend style thing and she says i'm so glad you're here michaela full disclosure i am going through a breakup that's kind of why i'm having this party and i first of all felt so terrible for her but also was like oh my god i don't know her well enough to know what she needs. Like I'm used to knowing, you know, I wanna know exactly how to be useful to a friend and I don't know what she needs. And so I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she says, yeah, that's why we're having this. And so we start like having this birthday party. But as we're having it, more and more people start coming. And she tells me she's been friends with this one for 10 years. She's been friends with this one since high school. Everyone has sort of shown up for her and for this dog. And so I help hang the pinata, uh, which mm-hmm. is a dog, dog pinata. Sure. It's filled with dog treats. Sure. And I'm really excited that I get to help hang the pinata because like I'm being useful. And yeah. then I go second to bang the pinata and I promptly send the pinata so hard that it flips up further into the tree so that no one else can play pinata anymore. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it takes 20 minutes and another friend uh, on someone's <laughs> shoulders, like knocking at it while all of us coach them to like get it free because I'm I literally like almost cost the dog her like birthday treats and at the end I was going home and I was doing that thing that you do where you sort of review your own like party performance right (laughs) because I'm thinking I really want like I want to help her in this terrible time and like was I helpful was I useful as a friend on the one hand I hung the pinata on the other hand I cost the dog like 20 minutes of treats. On the third hand, the dog did end up getting the treats. And and I sort of, as I'm walking home, I had this like flash of, oh, the birthday party was the point. Like, that's how I helped. Like she wanted, that's what she wanted. That's what she needed. And that like, I was getting so worked up making sure I was the exact right thing, but she had already set it up to say, this is how I need my friends to show up for me. So I gave myself a B minus. Okay, sorry. What are you grading yourself on? Are you grading yourself on the friendship scale? It's like several, it's like a rubric. There's like several columns. It's okay. the friendship scale. It's like your social performance. Like, like, did you make new friends? Sure. Were you, you know, how did the dog like you? There's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of different aspects of it. I would say, I mean, this is the conclusion you came to, but I'm sorry, chaplain hat goes on, which is that you get an A plus as a friend, right? This is someone who did tell you how you could take care of them in a moment of distress and you showed up and like, that's what we do. That is what friendship is. It is asking for what you need and showing up when asked and like, that's it. Exactly. And in fact, thank you for my A+. I appreciate it. I've written it down on my dry erase board report card that I keep. Sure. And also, as I'm thinking about it too, I also am proud that I asked for what I needed before before the birthday party. Like, yeah. I did manage to ask and she did get to say yes and get to show up. And so there's like something about being able to give to another person that is already a service to me. Yep. 
And you created the space for her to ask you for something, which was to come to a dog birthday party, right? This is just my political plug that I'm now adding, which is that when we know what we need, which is rare, we should all ask for it because people want to help. And the reason they don't is that they don't know what you need. And so if you're like, this is what I need, a ride from the hospital, you are doing them a favor. You are showing them how they can love you. If you're inviting them to a dog birthday party, that is you showing someone, telling someone how they can love you. And like, that is such a gift. And so everybody asks for what you need. That is a key part of friendship. It's not just giving, but asking for what you need. Can I add a corollary to that, which is If you've asked for what you needed and that person consistently hasn't been able to give it to you. That's information. That's information. And and I think sometimes also we think friendship is longevity. Friendship is proximity. Friendship is these things that we're supposed to then put up with or like excuse or have to like take on the burden of like repeatedly training someone to listen to our requests. That's the part that I think I'm very bad at too, which is- mm-hmm. We all are. Right? Like we ask and we ask, and if someone can't give it to us, it often takes us a few times to be like, wait, we're speaking different languages here. Something's not quite connecting. Right. Or timing, right? Like there's all sorts of things. And I think we see that in this chapter, right? Like Harry doesn't know what he needs. He is so overwhelmed by what just happened, right? Like you just keep hearing him say like Dementors and Little Wingjing, Dementors and Little Wingjing, right? Like he can't ask for anything and everybody is frustrating and disappointing him. And it makes sense. Like it's a crisis moment. It is a difficult friendship moment. And I think that we see all of these other relationships and metrics come in. Whereas I do think a friend coming in would be really helpful to him. But before we jump into that, let's remind everybody what happens in the chapter. This is a big chapter. It's a big chapter. So much mail. So I'm wondering if you can count me in on the 30 second recap and I will do my best to remind the people what happens. Okay. Three, two, one, go. So Mrs. Fig is like, keep your wand out. The Dementors are here. We don't know what's happening. Dudley, get up. And Dudley's like, I can't get up. I was just like almost kissed by a Dementor. Harry drags him home. Petunia and Vernon are like, what happened? Our kid is sick. And um, then all of these owls start showing up. And it's like, Harry, you're expelled. Harry, never mind, you're not expelled. Harry's trying to explain what happened. And then there's going to be a trial. And Arthur writes to Harry. And Sirius writes to Harry. And Vernon is like, oh, my God, I want you out of my house. You're bad for me. A B, since we're grading ourselves today. <laughs> I give it an A because mm-hmm. I don't I don't have a curve yet. Yeah. That well, was the best I one do. I've ever been here for. <laughs> okay, Michaela, it's your turn. First 30 okay. second recap ever. I am rooting for you. Very nervous. Okay. Get ready for your B minus. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so there's a lady, the next door neighbor lady, I'm terrible with names. The next door neighbor lady is, um, she, it turns out, is actually not a witch, but is the daughter of magic people. And um, Harry is very surprised to find that he, like, has had someone who's paid attention all along. He was abandoned by someone who was supposed to be watching. Oh, my God, this is so hard. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you let me do it over again. I'm running out of time just talking about how hard it is. This is terrible. But at the end, Petunia says he can stay. And that feels very important. 
That does feel very important. Petunia that was the worst 30 second recap but you know what i don't mind i don't mind because we got it done and it's not even close to the worst 30 second recap we've had on this show (laughs) like it's not in the bottom 20s so michaela our theme is friendship for today and yet this is a chapter in which he is quite friendless But it's really interesting because like a big moment of friendship happens at the end of chapter one. When Harry casts his Patronus, what he is able to do is remember how much he loves Ron and Hermione and how much Ron and Hermione love him. Even though he has felt really frustrated and separated from them for a while, he's still able to conjure that. And then the Patronus gets released. We step into chapter two and he's in this state of isolation again. And it's just so interesting how often we feel friendless when we don't not have friends when we're not in the room with them. Yeah, I relate to this really hard, actually. Me too. And I have said before that I think it's like when babies think that you disappear when they cover their eyes. Like I have object impermanence. problems with my own friendships, which is challenging because a lot of my friendships are long distance friendships. And I think that this feeling that he has during this chapter, which is he is isolated, he's betrayed. You know, he just saved Dudley and spends the entire chapter. It's actually kind of slapstick how the entire chapter, every time he's about to explain what really happened, an owl comes whooshing out. (laughs) And it's like the owls have perfect timing to keep him from ever getting the credit for saving Dudley in chapter one. And so this frustration that he feels and no one's speaking up for him. And even when he gets messages from the owls, he gets a message from Sirius that's just stay put. You know, he's not getting supportive messages except for one. So anyway, I think it's really easy to feel in these moments like no one wants me. No one loves me. No one is here. And it just felt really not only relatable to me now, but also I do remember feeling that way when I was 15. There's something really adolescent about him here that sort of lets us go, oh, right, this is where he is in his life at this moment. Yeah, but to your point, like, I think I've object impermanence just in my life with my friends all the time right like in moments of distress right I just I can't believe I'm saying this but I just watched this TikTok where this woman is doing a skit of like what happens to me when I don't respond to a friend's text and it's like she's working on an email the doorbell is going off the dog is barking and she's like and that's why I don't respond and then it goes what I imagine my friends are doing when they don't respond to a text and it's like looking at the text, rolling their eyes and thinking like, <laughs> ugh, I hate her and putting her phone down, right? And so like, the, and right, like she's a 30 year old or whatever, this sketch comedian. And so I think that, yeah, this comes from like a profound fear of being alone and feeling yeah. unloved and unlovable. And I know that there are a lot of fan theories about like, maybe part of Harry's like depression or whatever is that Harry is a horcrux. But I think that what really is horrible for Harry is he's in this house every year that tries to tell him that he's worthless. And so of course he forgets that there are friends out there who love him. And of course he kind of has to chant that to himself. And I wish he had the painting skills that we're going to find out in book seven Luna has, where she just like (laughs) literally paints them above her bed. So she's like, friends, I have friends. 
What I thought was interesting was the moment when Vernon is like, you got to go. And Harry's first thought is not, who am I going to find? Like, who do I need to reach out for? He's like, okay, I got to keep my wand safe. I got to go. I'm going to be fine. Like, he's very like, I am on my own. And it really speaks to your point about his default maybe being like feeling isolated and needing those reminders. I will be very vulnerable and share that I have this problem and I keep a spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) And I have all of my friends on a spreadsheet, not because I'm grading them or anything, but just because I can scroll down and be like, look at all these people (laughs) who I know, who I love, who I know love me. Yeah. And like, yes, sometimes because I have some time blindness and stuff like that, I have to be like, when did I last talk to them? And like mark it down and like that, you know, like play around with it and keep information in there. But really it's just like you just said, it's it's that painted over your bed. Like, yes, you have friends. Yeah. I have a wall of photos up in my kitchen. Yeah. And I like keep it updated. You know, I'm like, no, I need to be reminded of these people. And it It feels important in all the ways that like when people come over, they see themselves reflected in my home that I can walk by and be like, oh, how is Molly? Like I haven't spoken to her, right? Like we all have Dementor moments. One of my favorite readings of Dementors is like of them as a form of depression. Mm -hmm. And so when those Dementors come, being able to remind yourself, but I really think that like the Horcrux, the draining thing that makes the object permanent so hard for Harry is privet drive, right? Like is this, I am isolated. And what's so interesting is that he has a friend on privet drive and he just doesn't know it, right? We find out in this chapter that Mrs. Fig, who lives just a couple of doors down, has been like put on privet drive to keep an eye on Harry for the last 15 years and that she has intentionally been told by Dumbledore that she can't be friends with Harry because if she becomes too friendly with Harry, you know, Petunia and Vernon won't send him over there to be babysat and like, it won't be a good sort of spy cover. But I hate this decision. It would have meant so much to him to know over at least over these last three years right like I understand before he went to Hogwarts maybe but like now to know that there's someone on this block who he can talk to about the magical world and it's just I wish Dumbledore had like paused and rethought his strategy at some point well (laughs) I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say Dumbledore has made a very boomer decision, in my opinion. Say more. He has prioritized Harry's physical well-being without actually thinking about Harry's emotional development or needs. And there is a generation of people who parented with like, we want to keep you really physically safe, like that is the highest priority, but it doesn't really occur to them that there's this other aspect of safety. And that's not their fault. That's how they were raised, whatever. But like that, that's why the suburbs were invented. Exactly. But it feels like Dumbledore is the poster kid for them in this moment, because he's like, all that matters is someone is watching over you. But like, I'm not even going to make you know that someone is watching over you. Like, it's going to be a secret. Yeah. Which keeps Mrs. Fig 
in this role of protector instead of friend. This could be a like beautiful cross-generational friendship. And Mrs. Fig wants it, right? She's like, I'm sorry totally. I have to be so boring. I'm obviously the most fun person ever. I have this Kneasel cat who's like magical and can communicate. And like, I am like comfortable with my squidness. And like, we can talk about all these like fun things. She could have like taught him cribbage probably. And like, they could have been having a great time. And instead she's had to have this other role. And I don't know, I just really do think, I think this is a big missed opportunity. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. The only person I would argue in this chapter who, like, objectively treats Harry as a friend, like, 
Ron and Hermione are out there getting this news and worried about him and loving him, right? Like they are yes. they are in this same world universe moment being friends to Harry. But the only person who he experiences as a friend is Arthur Weasley. Yeah. So Harry is getting all these letters to your point, right? He's getting these like well-timed owls where he like can't explain himself. He's feeling incredibly frustrated and attacked. He's just been attacked. He's just saved Dudley's life. Now he's being attacked by the Dursleys. And then he gets this note from Arthur. It says, Harry, Dumbledore's just arrived at the ministry and he's trying to sort it all out. Do not leave your aunt and uncle's house. Do not do any more magic. Do not surrender your wand. And what makes this a loving, friendly note to me is that Dumbledore's just arrived at the ministry and he's trying to sort it all out. Yes. Right? Like the, the rest is instructive, right? Mm -hmm. And is similar to the note that Sirius is going to send. And I do love that he says, do not surrender your wand. I, I love that. But right? It's this Dumbledore is just a It's sharing information. Yeah. It is wondering what I would want to hear in that situation more than instructions. I would want context. And then also there's like this, my son and you are friends. So we're friends, right? Yeah. Like this, like we're not direct friends, but we're relational friends and therefore we're friends. Well, and that I'm going to take care of you the way I would take care of him in this moment. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really appreciate about it is, as you say, it's giving context. But once again, it's treating Harry as an agent of his own story and not an extremely important pawn in the war. Because when you're just giving instructions to to someone, that's orders. Yeah, that's that's orders. You're giving orders, and those are important orders. But there's no acknowledgement that there's a any going to be any feelings associated with those orders, or maybe anxiety, or maybe this, or maybe that. And so when Arthur does that, he's first treating Harry like a fifteen year old, and then he's treating Harry like he's capital H, capital P. You know? Yeah, and you know we know that serious loves Harry but I think Sirius in this moment is doing I'm not your friend I'm your guardian yep and so Arthur's just told us what happened and he's keeping him safe right he's like yep. don't leave the house again whatever you do right like and this is him saying I know you I know you're gonna want to leave the house yes totally and is like I don't have enough time to tell you more please just listen to my words I need to keep you physically safe which is just like such a parental thing but yep. it's not a friend thing and like we need both you can't just have your parents right like I have a friend who just sent their kid to daycare for the first time and she was like it's so hard but also he needs friends right like he needs more than just me yeah I have very vivid memories of being 15. So like this had me thinking a lot about adolescence and part of the frustration of being 15 specifically or like 14 to 16 is you are not yet old enough to like be properly respected by the adults in your life. The adults in your life still think they have things that they have to like teach you and model and, and they have to protect you. And they're right in lots of ways. They're right. But you're also not young enough to just uncritically be like, well, the grown-ups say this is what I should do, so I guess this is what I should do. So you're sort of 
cursed with that in-betweenness of, I know what I need to do. No one's letting me. Everyone's treating me both like a child, but also not giving me the credit for doing good stuff the way I used to get credit when I was little. If I had (laughs) saved people from a dementor when I was 13, like they'd throw me a parade. Are you kidding me? But now that I'm 15, I do it. I save the very person who makes my life miserable and I get no credit. If I'm being treated like an adult on one hand in the bad way and like a kid on the other hand in the bad way. Yeah. Very frustrating. That is so frustrating. And the big upside of teenhood is your friends, right? Yes. Yes. I live part-time with a 15-year-old and like her friends mean so much to her. And it is physically difficult to just watch her be in her bedroom on the phone with her friends rather than <laughs> hang out with me. I'm like, no, you're going to be out for Spend all your time with me. But that is one of the comforts of being 15 is like yeah. how intensely you love your friends and they love you. And Harry, Harry's just really in like a perfectly awful situation here. And it feels also, I mean, not to be too semantic about it, but this whole chapter feels like the photo negative of friendship. He is getting no credit for the things that he's done. He is not getting context or emotional support. He's finding out that there were people who were around who were never his friend. He's literally getting lied about. Like all the things that are happening are just, you can learn so much about friendship by going, what not to do in this chapter, you know? And like just in an imaginative space for a second, imagine the difference if someone was like, get Hermione there right now, just yep. so he doesn't feel alone, yep. right? Yep. Hermione would yell like, shut up and listen to him for a second, right? Like just an ally in that room. It wouldn't even have to be a close friend. It could be Dean Thomas, but like he, he just needs someone in that room whose primary goal is to care about him as an equal. Yep, I agree completely. Michaela, welcome to your first spiritual practice. We are going to do the medieval Christian practice of Lectio Divina, and I will just walk you through it. It is a four-step reading practice that Guigo II described as lowering a ladder into the text in order to then take that ladder back up to God, to use reading in order to try to see something true. And so we'll see if we can do that together. Great. I love heights. (laughs) Great. So, Michaela, I have picked a sentence for us to treat as sacred, and here it goes. For context, this is Petunia at the end of the chapter, everyone. He stays, she said. She was not looking at Harry. She got to her feet again. I love it. Oh, so good. So step one, we just ask ourselves, what is literally happening in this sentence? and give a little context. Michaela, do you want to start us off on what's happening here? Sure. So what literally happens is she countermands an order from her husband. She avoids looking at the person she's helping. Mm -hmm. And she stands up. Yep. It's so declarative. He stays. Yeah. Right? Like, 
the context that I would just add is she's just gotten this howler and we don't know who it's from, but it's an awful voice. And it just says, remember my last Petunia. So we know that remember my last Petunia is Dumbledore saying, remember what I put in my letter 15 years ago, 14 years ago. And we don't know what was in that letter, but apparently something big. And so Petunia is just, I don't know. It's the only time we really see her standing up to Vernon in any way. In book one, she's like following him to an island in the middle of nowhere. In book three, she has his sister over who's like abusive to her. And in this one, she's like, Harry stays. The other amazing thing to me about this is it's the moment that we realize she has a relationship to the magic world that is ongoing. Yeah. And the first moment we realize that she is doing something on Harry's behalf. Yeah. Which is a really interesting put together because mm-hmm. we've only seen her as antagonist this mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah. And so to suddenly peel that back and see something we had no idea was going on is really fun. Yeah. And I mean, we get reminded in this chapter also of this familial bond, right? Like this is a moment where we're like, right, Petunia is Lily's sister. Yes. Right. Like this is actually Harry's aunt. Okay. I think we did step one. So step two is what other stories does this remind us of? What movies, songs, poems, novels does this remind us of? And the reason we do this is just to add context to this sentence and sort of expand what this sentence contains within it. So I'll read it just one more time. He stays, she said. She was not looking at Harry. She got to her feet again. It's a trope that this reminds me of. Yeah. This reminds me of every villain's henchman finally standing up to the villain in the like deus ex machina moment when all seems lost for the protagonist and the like giant bald dude with like with like brass knuckles yeah with like a sphere of brass knuckles behind like in a double-breasted suit and or a doublet depending on what you're looking at (laughs) suddenly goes that's not gonna happen or no actually it's the villain going get him and him just going no and then the villain's like, what? No. <laughs> that wasn't what? in your list of options. When I first found you, you were unemployed in Greenland, right? Like that that sort of moment of like, I'm I'm not doing it. And and that it does feel that way, right? Where like sh- like she's finding this reserve in her. And like she's fighting it. Like she doesn't want it, but she finds this reserve in her. And it just reminds me of that kind of a reversal. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she is a henchman. I think that that's like really elucidating about Petunia. I was like focused on a couple of things. I was focused on the not looking at Harry, which reminds me of the basilisk eye, Mm. both in the Harry Potter series, but just in general, that if you make eye contact with it, it will kill you, right? Like it's in a Dickinson poem, right? Like this is just like an old trope. There's this feeling that like, it's one of two things to my mind where it's like she's embarrassed to be doing something kind for Harry. Yes. And so she's like, I don't even want to look at you while I'm doing this thing because I'm doing it begrudgingly. Or it's shame that she hasn't done more, right? And she's like, but she cannot get herself to look at Harry in this moment. 
Um, and then the other thing that she got to her feet again just reminds me of like the I am Spartacus moments where like, or right, like, oh, Captain, yeah. my captain in Dead Poets Society, where like one by one people get to their feet as a showing of solidarity. Yeah, it's right. This like, it's almost too late, you know, like. Uh, yeah like the teacher's already been fired like Spartacus is getting arrested whatever but it's like I just need to show my solidarity anyway I'm really resonating though with what you're talking about the like shame that she hasn't done more that feels so powerful the like not being able to look at him yeah I'm also thinking about there's a lot of like gender role stuff here as well. And so I'm thinking about times in fiction that a wife specifically has stood up to a husband. Yeah. And how a lot of times it's around people not being treated that well, like children not children. being treated that well, yeah. you know? And that feels like something that is resonant here too, which is like, she should have been protecting him this whole time. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So step three, we ask ourselves the question of what this reminds us of in our own life. Mm -hmm. He stays, she said. She was not looking at Harry. She got to her feet again. It reminds me, I, as I'm sure our listeners know, I ripped up my ankle a few years ago and just, I have what's now called a chronic sprain. Like I just, oh, no. I'm going to keep, I know it's fine. I'm going to have surgery and I, you know, they'll give me new ligaments and everything will be great. But essentially the reason that I'm having ankle surgery is because the doctor was like, your ankle is so weak. You're just going to keep re-injuring it and re-injuring it and re-injuring it. And over the last four years, I just keep falling and I just have to like keep getting up again. Oh. And like, so it's so funny, the different falls, you know, those signs of the doctors, like, are you prone to falling? I'm like, yeah, I don't think in the way you mean my ankle just stops working sometimes. I like, don't know how to answer that question, but like, oh, no. sometimes I'll fall and I'll be like, ugh, that was annoying and be able to pop back up. And other times I will like sit on the ground and cry. And I'm not sure that there is a one-to-one -one correlation of like when it hurts more, right? It's just like, there's some times that I have the resilience to just like pop back up. And there are other yeah. times where I'm like, I can't believe I keep falling. Like, I hate that my body, that my ankle just stops working sometimes and that, you know, I fall. And so that's what it reminds me of. It's just like how... You know, Petunia has to find resilience in this moment to get to her feet again. Yeah. What about you? You know, in eighth grade, I was in, this is really ridiculous, but I was in a terrible love triangle that uh -huh. centered around the school play, which was Cinderella. These two brothers who, one of them asked me out, one of them really liked me. It turned out the one who asked me out was just manipulating me to get back to his brother. Like, terrible. And my deepest shame is that I did not stand up for the other brother. Like yeah. I went out with the brother and I didn't stand up for the other brother. And so this thing of like, she said the right thing, but she was not looking at Harry. Like that feeling of I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. That feels mm -hmm. very real. Isn't it funny how those eighth grade shames, like you'll be falling asleep oh. one night and you're like, oh, I did that. Oh my gosh. The worst. They, they like somehow on a somatic level, like lodge in your spine, you know? 
Well, fun fact, when I was working at a nonprofit, the English teacher of my middle school invited me to come talk to the eighth grade about storytelling. And I went back to my eighth grade at age 37, like went back to the hallway and the whole thing. So traumatic. But then the eighth graders were so nice. They like, let me re-experience my adolescent, like have a positive experience and rewrite my adolescent memories. It was really intense. Oh, I love that. that really Catharsis. I know. Well, step four, Michaela, as we ask ourselves what this makes us feel called to, this whole conversation. And so what does this conversation make you feel called to do in your life? And I'll read it one more time. He stays, she said. She was not looking at Harry. She got to her feet again. Okay, this makes me feel called to something so specific, which is that when people give me a compliment, try to still look at them. I don't have to take the compliment. <laughs> this is a low baby threshold steps. baby step. Baby steps. But I just watched on a pilgrimage, a group of women, this pilgrimage was all women. And it was a group of women blessing each other and complimenting each other. And none of them could stand it. They were all sitting there like, ah, and I was like, no, we need to listen to these things because it's people trying to say, I see and love you. Yep. And like, we need to, if nothing else, we need to honor that they are doing that vulnerable thing. And so I am going to try to look at people when they say nice things to me. I love that. What about you, Michaela? Well, I feel called to tell people I see and love them more. Hmm. I think that I want to look at them. And I want to, sometimes I think I'm supposed to play it cool or like be the chill friend, but I have no chill and I don't think I should try to pretend I do. No. And so, yeah, that's my, that's my call. Yeah. No chill is great. I love no chill. (laughs) No chill. Well, thank you so much, Michaela, for doing your first Lectio. Thank you. I loved it. This was really, really fun. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Vanessa, what's your favorite Taylor Swift album? Folklore. What's your favorite Taylor Swift album? Evermore. Ooh, so close to being right, but wrong. Now, see, I was taking a completely different interpretation of our favorite albums because we're in the same era, Uh but we have different favorites. I think it's why we have such great conversations, because we have similar sympathies and tastes, but we there's enough difference to make it interesting. I don't know why it has to be about winning and losing. You're right, Matt. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) 
Matt, I do feel like there are some listeners who just heard that and were like, I think that Matt and Vanessa are talking in a secret code, but the rest of you are Swifties. And for you, we have an incredible pilgrimage coming up with Margaret H. Wilson. I am also going, and your wife Colette Potts is also going, because you could try to keep us away from a Taylor Swift pilgrimage, but you would fail. This is going to be on Cape Cod at this beautiful place called Auto Camp. And so we are going to go to this beautiful landscape and talk both about folklore and Evermore because they are complimentary albums. And we're going to reflect on questions like, what does thinking about my life as a story allow me to see in a different way? Or do I have stories or memories that might be easier to share in a fictional framework? And what fables do I wish existed to guide me right now? So if you love close reading, if you love Taylor Swift, if you would love to go on a pilgrimage, you should come and look into this. Go to readingandwalkingwith.com to claim one of our very few remaining spots on this great trip today. That's readingandwalkingwith.com. This week's voicemails from Martha, but we do want to offer a Trigger warning, Martha is a teacher and we'll be talking about school shootings. So if you would rather skip that conversation, fast forward about three minutes and you should meet us at our memorial section. Hi, Sacred Text team. Um, my name is Martha and I'm calling from Hillsboro, North Carolina. I just finished listening to the episode on chapter 36 from book seven. Um, and I wanted to give a blessing to Professor McGonagall. I just finished my first year of teaching um, and there were many a days where I was worried, fearful of an intruder, something happening to my students. I'm young enough that I was in high school when the Parkland shooting happened and the fear that I had afterwards. And now that I'm a teacher, I feel way more connected to Professor McGonagall's wail of grief, her despair when she sees Harry in Hagrid's arms. Um, so I wanted to give a blessing to her for that grief, for that love that she has for her students who are too young to be victims of that war and all the other teachers who go to work every day knowing that something terrible could happen and going anyway and the love and the care that they have for their students because it's not easy but it's a deeply important job. Thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I love your podcast and I've been loving it for many years. So thank you. Martha, thank you so much for your voicemail. Oh, I can't say it often enough. I think educating children and doing behavioral management and dealing with parents and everything involved in being a teacher is more than a full-time job and that there's this like threat of violence in addition in our schools is just maddening beyond belief. And so I just want to thank you for going into those classrooms. And I think that you're right to point us, 
you know, to McGonagall. We see her in these upcoming chapters. She's going to be stopping by Grimald Place as part of the order, you know, and I think this should not be the front the teachers are on where they are scared of being shot. But teachers have always been on the front lines for their students. And yeah, which is all for me to just say how grateful I am. I, I did not make it very long as a teacher. I taught for three years, but I am just so grateful for the people who are out there advocating for their students and showing up because they believe that education is important. I want to echo everything you said, and thank you so much for calling in and letting us be part of your blessing. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Aunt Nancy, who was 66, who taught joy with the side of wise advice. Oma Reet, who was 89, a fierce woman who was fiercely loved too. Nynaeve, who was six, a firecracker with big dreams. Dennis Mullen, 72, a loving father, grandfather, who had a great laugh. Catherine Nuccio, who was 94, a prayer warrior who was fluent in Pig Latin. Robert Clary, who was 82, a father, grandfather, inventor, and engineer. May their memories bless us all. Michaela, we now offer a blessing to a character in this chapter. Who would you like to bless? I would like to bless Mrs. Fig for a long-term protective care without a lot of or any glory or recognition. She's a caretaker, and so I want to bless her. Amen. And caretaking is so invisible. So thank you. I can't believe I'm about to do this, Michaela. First time in eight years. I am going to bless Vernon Dursley. He makes a speech in this chapter when he is kicking out Harry. And it is not a totally compelling paragraph, right? He says, out, I should have done it years ago. Owls treating place like a rest home, puddings exploding, half the lounge destroyed. I'm like, whatever, dude. Property damage and a ruined dessert and birds. But then he says, Dudley's tail, Marge bobbing around on the ceiling. I'm just like, you know, like, you're the worst. And this is a lot of violence that your family has endured. And I, I don't know, bad people have bad things happen to them too. And I think this is like hospital chaplain me. That's like, when you meet someone in a hospital, you don't have to know their whole identity. Like yeah. what you're taking care of is like the spiritual wound that is there with them. And so Vernon doesn't deserve much from me, but like <laughs> these were like real violences that he experienced for his son and sister. 
And so just like hospital chaplain me wants to say to Vernon, like, I see that pain. Yeah. Next week, we will be reading book five, chapter three, The Advance Guard with the great Matt Potts. And we will be doing that through the theme of deception. Michaela, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so fun. Thank you. This has been really the best part of my day, week, month, and season. Other than the dog birthday party. Right. The dog birthday party was a high point. No, but <laughs> yeah, different yeah. category. On the yeah, spreadsheet. yeah, yeah. Different. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> Just one reminder before we give our thanks, everyone, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Michaela loves a grade, so give her five stars and shout her out in your review. <laughs> You can also subscribe for ad-free episodes there. And if you love Michaela, you can grade her on Apple Podcasts, but you can also spend more time with her at our romance writing workshop and what matters. And you can find out more about both of those at notsorryworks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisout and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We would like to thank Martha for their voicemail this week, Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Reek, Courtney Brown, Casper Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Talk to you next week. I literally like almost cost the dog her treats, her like birthday treats. Her pinata treats for her birthday that she definitely understands it is. She could smell it. Are you kidding me? She was really psyched this whole this time. Obviously, like, a deprived dog. You would never otherwise I have gotten felt a treat. Terrible.